I'm not going to lie, Leslie, this season was rough. Was It was tough. And I think it helped that I played with my sister and that I lived with my sister. And so a lot of times my meetings were after practice, like maybe like 8.30 to, I don't know, 11 p.m., 11.30, because of the time change. Um, and I liked having my mornings to myself. It was kind of nice. And then I would start work like in the afternoon, go to practice and take my meetings, which my sister would cook for me. Like if I didn't have my sister, that would have been really difficult. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring current and former professional athletes. They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food, and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode here on the pod. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, and it's with a very happy heart that I am delivering this interview to all of you today. Today's athlete and I have played in the same league for at least the past two years, but it's truly thanks to our mutual friend, Nadia Fingal, for bringing the two of us together. So shout out to Nad. She's tearing it up in Mexico's league right now. And to the rest of you, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Carly Samuelson is the real deal both on and off the court. She's a Stanford grad, NCAA Final Four participant, twice, Spanish League champ, twice, Queen's Cup champion, twice, EuroLeague Final Four participant and bronze medal winner. She's got experience in the WNBA, and she's got a full-time job, y'all, outside of basketball. How does she do it all and have time to be on my podcast? I haven't a clue. But I am extremely grateful for people like her who give their all, all the time. So let's get to it. Roll it. Good morning, Carly Samuelson. Will you just please set the scene for me right now? Because when I say good morning, it's like really early where you are. Yes, it is. It's 7.30 California time. But I was just telling Leslie, I'm holding on to East Coast and Spanish time. (laughs) Man, I applaud you because I... Being being honest, I do not get up that early these days. Um, I mean, as a professional athlete, if you don't have practice till 10 or 11, you know, maybe 8.30, I'll be getting up. But you, yeah. <laughs> we're starting at 7.30, which means you've been up already probably for a good, I don't know. Yeah, hour and a half or so, yeah. Wow. Okay, well, we'll get into this later, but you you like to get up early because you have some clients or coworkers that are on East Coast time. And that's why you get up early because what it's a three hour difference, right? Yeah, three hours to the East Coast. But I'd say it's also a combo of I live with my parents when I'm home. So they're, they go to bed really early. And we have three dogs that get up early. So that helps. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll yeah. do it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, just getting into the interview, tell me about your first sports memory. It doesn't have to be basketball, but just like anything that you can remember, um, what would you say is your first memory? Yeah, I mean, I played, my sisters and I played, I have two sisters, I'm the middle. Um, We played a lot of sports growing up. And honestly, I think my first sports memory was soccer. Um, My dad was our coach. And I remember (laughs) there's just like funny pictures of us. He's so tall. He's like six, seven. And us just like looking up at him, basically saying, we don't want to run anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I have a lot of Spanish teammates. I think they just assume that we never played soccer in our lives, even though the American team is really good. Yeah. Um, but okay, so you started playing soccer back in the day. Yeah, Fun. a little bit. A little bit. Um, and cool that your dad decided to be the coach because your dad was a basketball player, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm blessed with parents that they're both teachers, and so a lot of their summertime and off time, and they spent so much time with us. They were our coaches in and out of lots of different sports. So. Okay. Well, and I read that your mom actually she's from Great Britain. Yeah, um, she's like born and raised. So I'm like 50% British. Um, my dad played professionally overseas in England, which is where he met her, and she was playing as well, mm-hmm. and then brought her back over to California. <laughs> But was your mom playing basketball or was she playing netball? Yeah, so I asked I ask her this all the time. She played both. She okay. was on like the national netball team, um, but she did play basketball as well. And I think at the time when they met, she was playing basketball, but she, okay. she dabbled in both. <laughs> Have you ever tried netball? No, but I've watched videos. I've never seen it live actually, but it is such an interesting sport because like they deny, deny, deny. And then as soon as someone catches it, you have to back off. It's like the funniest thing. And then you can like take your time to shoot it. Right. Have you played? I've never played it, but I heard about it. Thanks to our mutual friend, Azania Stewart. Shout out yes. to Z. Shout out Z. Oh. Um, yeah, because I had never heard of netball. And so then when I Googled it and I saw there was no backboard, I mean, yeah. you, you being a shooter, that's like the main thing that you do. Can you imagine shooting without a backboard? Uh, everything would change like the whole perception of the basket like I don't even you'd have to like visualize looking into the rim I don't know that's tough it seems and they play they play either only offense or defense I believe okay so like you have to stay on one side or the other yeah super interesting and I think sometimes it's mixed right like it can be men and women on the same team really I don't know I literally don't know anything about netball besides that like yeah no backboard the contact thing yeah definitely a sport sport that has never uh kind of jumped over the pond and uh started in the united states at least not that i'm aware of yeah i've never seen it in the states i feel like they might play in australia but i'm not sure about that okay maybe because australia okay this is horrible if i'm saying this on the podcast but were they an english colony at one point yeah i think it's all yeah i think it's like my history is so bad, Leslie, for <laughs> sure. But at, like the Commonwealth, right? Like right. England, Australia. Well, there's an influence there as far as like sports and whatnot. Yeah, um, something like that. I mean, what <laughs> wasn't a British colony, to be honest? So <laughs> we don't have to get into right. the history of Great Britain. <laughs> um, and one more thing about your mom. Does she still speak with like a thick British accent? So she, uh, she's been over here for like over 30 years. She's lost most of it. The first time she went back to England was when I was playing with the national team and she hadn't been back home for 23 years. So she got to show me like actually where she met my dad, like where she grew up. It was like really, really special. She's like, this changed. Everything was so different. But of course, when we got back there, her entire accent came back. I was like, who are you? Would you like some tea? Yeah, literally. (laughs) But like when her sister comes over, her accent comes back. And growing up, she did... So I sometimes get confused with the right way to say certain words, like the garage, she says garage. So sometimes I get confused what's the American way, but sure. different, different words. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I, well, if I'm living in Spain for the next 30 years, I wonder if my American accent will ever go away because I don't know about that. I think it's with me forever. <laughs> yeah, maybe the American one really holds on to it, I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But um, okay, so you started with soccer. You said you guys kind of dabbled in a lot of sports, but when do you think you realized that basketball, like you wanted to start taking it seriously or you even thought, hey, maybe I have a future in this? I think um, my older sister kind of made that choice before me. She, and I think my parents were obviously probably very happy, but probably when my older sister was maybe eight to 10, maybe 10. So then I must've been six to eight. Um, We kind of like moved to more basketball, um, like co-ed back at the time, but yeah, uh, pretty early on for sure. We, we like just tried other sports, but then basketball quickly became our favorite and I'm sure my parents' favorite. Definitely helps having older siblings kind of showing the way, or, you know, I have two older brothers and I just wanted to do everything that they did. So it was inevitable basically. Yeah. They play basketball. They both played basketball and baseball. And so, yeah, I was a little, I was like a little boy. I had the bull haircut, you know, I wore their hand-me-downs. Classic. Um, Yeah. So when did you start then playing AAU, would you say? Maybe like 
yeah, 11, 12, oh, maybe wow. 10, 11, 12. Yeah, pretty early. I mean, we, we were, my sisters and I were very close. So even my little sister, which I take, obviously Lou, take the credit for how good she is because she followed us. But it was nice to have that. We're so close and aged, but then like to follow each other, like through basically the basketball years. Were you able to play on the same AAU team? Yeah, a few years, not not early on, because I feel like that growth at that time is pretty significant between like 11 to 13. But yeah, uh, quite a bit. We played with each other a lot. I mean, that's nice, especially for parents as far as like traveling and getting kids to practice or going to tournaments because three kids like I have with my brothers, I think about my parents and I just think, wow, how did they do it? You know, I, I really like. I don't understand how how parents do it when their kids are doing different sports or you have boys and girls like they we you know we got in the car all together and went everywhere together and like the club team had either like you know the the top team and then the younger teams but at least it was all at the same place right so do you remember when the recruiting process started for you Mm -hmm. my my recruiting process again it's all different because I had my older sister Um, she went to Stanford and I kind of watched her go through the process get the letters and everything and by the time I was kind of in it I kind of already knew I wanted to go to Stanford so it was pretty quick for me okay well for a lot of Europeans and wherever else people are listening to this podcast uh, Stanford is a uh, worldly known school uh, I mean everybody probably knows or has heard of Stanford so for your older sister to go there um, obviously it was on your radar um, but I just think, wow, that's really neat and really rare. I mean, to have three girls, have them all receive college scholarships, two of them go to Stanford. It just, it, it honestly kind of blows my mind a little bit. Like, I, I don't know what the percentage out there would be of a situation like you guys, but it's gotta be very small. I mean, I think, I mean, credit to my parents, obviously I'm sure they're, they're very proud when that happened, but again, like, it must have been nice for them to take us all all together to all these places. So we kind of had the same path and the same training and, and everything. But yeah, I'm sure, I think they're very proud. Yeah. Well, and besides, I mean, your sister went to Stanford. So you, you kind of got more information about what type of school it was, what the coach was like, all of that. But as far as the recruiting process, looking back on the way you handled it, would you say that you were like active or you, uh, active participant? Were you asking questions? Because I look back on my experience and I just think, wow, I don't know how many questions I really asked or like, I don't know how in tune I was to what my needs were and what I was really looking for. That's a good point. Cause I don't think I was either. I think I should have asked a little bit more questions. A big thing for me was that my sister well and I've visited quite a bit but the teammates and and the people on the team that I really really liked them and how they spoke about the school and their experience Mm -hmm. those were the questions that I asked or at least that I got the answers to by conversing with those people and that was a big thing for me I probably should have asked a little bit more about other schools you know to keep my options open at least to know what what's on the other side to make the like the perfect decision mm-hmm. well no no decision's perfect but the right decision for me um but that's a good point I think I should have been a little bit more active but it was about those player people connections okay how far is Stanford from your guys's hometown or where you grew up yeah it's like a an hour flight a six six hour drive okay so it's not like it's right next door yeah, no, it was like, it's close enough where they, like my parents can come quick, but it's far enough to be away for college. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Because um, I know a lot of kids, the recruiting process is overwhelming. And um, sometimes it's hard to know what to ask or what, I, I just think kids should really take a second to think about what's really important to them. You know, whether it's academics, whether it's distance, what kind of school environment, what kind of coaching staff. Um if you could give any advice to any of those kids that are going to be going through this process in the next couple of years, what do you think you would recommend or tell them to think about? I think, like you said, be more active, ask more questions, but specifically whatever questions you ask, whether it's, you know, ask about how do you see me, you know, my growth on this team or my first year, what do you see this team being as if you're talking to the coaches and really listen to answers 
a lot of times it's like they just tell you like some politically correct you know we're ready to go like we can't wait to see on the court like when coaches give real answers I really respect that like you know we have a lot of upperclassmen so you know it might be difficult for you the first year but we really see like we really work on our development and whatever so Mm -hmm. I think listening to realness from people like that that's big for me especially with coaches which is really difficult sometimes because coaches are such good talkers Mm -hmm. um, and they Mm kind of know what to say yeah especially in the recruiting process yeah because you're trying to get a player to come to the school so it's tough exactly um okay so you did you go on official visits to any other school um again mine is so funny I didn't I went on my Stanford one and committed I ended up I did go with Bonnie my older sister all of her official visits so like I kind of in a way counted those as my own um the same schools recruited me so I went with Bonnie to UCLA UConn and I can't remember there was one other one maybe Duke I don't know um again i I'm a West Coast girl, so either way, I was staying on the West Coast, but um, those are pretty eye-opening. Again, it was talking to the players, um, seeing the facilities, actually being in a place, like, and seeing something so far away on the East Coast, it did solidify for me that it was not for me, so I would definitely say go if you can. Right, really important, especially for European players or players from what other country, if you have the option to come and go on a visit, I think that is it's very important because you potentially will spend the next four years of your life there. Um, So it's good to know what you're getting into. Yeah. And you can really catch a vibe when you're there and see how you feel like in the place around surrounded by the people you'll be with. So Mm -hmm. for sure. So you commit to Stanford. You, I'm not sure if you did summer school after your senior year or not, but you're shaking your head. Yes. What was the impression that you got? Granted, you had probably been there several times to see your sister play, but um, yeah, what was your impression and what was that adaptation process like on the court and off the court? And um, my, yeah, my freshman summer, I just remember Stanford campus is very big and we got put in these dorms that were super far from the gym, Um, third floor, and it was super hot, no AC. And I have like specific memories of like, it was on me to get to where I needed to be. And that was a big adjustment for me. Like, you know, I had my bike around campus, but it's on me to know my schedule and, and get there and like not be late plan commuting plan. I didn't have my mom. Hey, come in the car. I got you drive me to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also rooming with somebody was an adjustment for me. That wasn't my sister. That wasn't my family. Um, like walking, just, just everything like walking to go find the laundry, just basically like figuring out how to do things that weren't just like right there for me. That was a big adjustment off the court. Mm-hmm. on the court my goodness it was like the attention to detail is ridiculous and I feel like a lot of players like you really think that you're a hard worker like when you do <laughs> things and then you get somewhere and you realize oh wait you can work a lot harder in everything that you do and you like even like passing this way we it was required to do left hand push pass and I was like oh god I can't just go like this and they made us like the attention to detail was was shocking to me Mm -hmm. and that's interesting to hear you say that too just about working hard because I saw I don't know if it was your Instagram page or what but you also kind of are into fitness and you have a YouTube like kind of fitness videos um were you into that would you say back in like high school college like taking your fitness pretty seriously definitely not um I took my (laughs) basketball and my like shooting shooting in place shots very seriously but no I didn't like nutrition wise, fitness wise, I didn't get into that until like my, a little bit into my pro career. Um, and especially in COVID time, as we all had nothing, nothing more to do. Um, but yeah, that's been fun. But yeah, I wish I did in college. I think I would have been in better shape and just overall, like maybe a little bit less injuries, but mm-hmm. yeah, not till later. I definitely agree. I mean, I was in college from 2004 to 2008 and I don't feel like the nutrition fashion, like the I want to say it in Spanish the moda the like it it hadn't come yet and we were eating anything and everything and I look back on those days and I just see pictures of myself and I think wow I could have been in such better shape 
those sprints, those sprints wouldn't have been as painful if I would have been in better shape. <laughs> yeah, maybe if I wasn't carrying a little extra baggage, I could have sprinted faster and not got some stress fractures. Yeah, for sure. Exactly, exactly. And um, the attention to detail because uh, Tara, right? She has yeah. been there. I don't, do you know how many years she's been there for? Oh my gosh. I mean, 30, maybe at least, at least, at least 30, at least 30. Yeah. Because actually one of my assistant coaches at the university of Minnesota, when I was there, she was recruited by Tara. I think when Tara was at Indiana, mm -hmm. um, and then obviously wow. now she's been at Stanford for this long, but she's been at the coaching uh, helm for quite some time I think she's probably had the same haircut for a while too I don't want to bash anybody but <laughs> oh no absolutely did you end up watching the dream on documentary yet I haven't seen it yet so yeah you'll see this she's coach she's the coach of the 1996 women's olympic team where basically they had the job to she had to resign from Stanford and coach this team for a full year and they had to win the gold and like win over the hearts of America for the NBA to put money and to make the WNBA. Mm -hmm. And she absolutely has the same haircut. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've reposted a couple of times on Instagram about it and a couple of Spaniards will write to me. They'll be like, what is this? Is this a documentary? And I'm like, yes, yes. Everybody should watch this, you That's know, to really get a good. perspective. Yeah. But, um, and I think a lot of people, at least uh, people in the States, she's a tough coach. So when you were a freshman, um, just adjusting to the mental toughness of being in practice, because I know for me, I felt like I came from a pretty intense uh, high school program, not to be name dropping or anything, but Paige Beckers went to the high school that I went to. We had the same coach and he was very intense as well, but college is another, there's a whole nother level. And so just, um, how did you kind of deal with that? Because especially at Stanford, like your academic level is super high. I'm assuming that the majority of people that go to Stanford have their own uh, self-expectations that are very high, plus then performing on the basketball court where you're getting like yelled at and, you know, things might not always go your way. How did you deal with those ups and downs? Yeah, um, well, it's funny you said that because Tara got a lot of heat actually after this documentary came out for how intense she was. And some people were asking some alums, like, are you guys okay? Ah. <laughs> and it was, she's very tough. And like you said, I, I as well came from a high school where I thought it was pretty intense. Like we were held to a pretty high standard. And again, that standard was raised once I got to college, but it, it was very mentally taxing and a very big adjustment because you come from, and I think this happens to, I mean, a lot of players, you come from, you're either like a very important member of your high school team or wherever you're playing, right? And you're very good. Um, and you come into a place where the people have, players have been there for three years before you. Um, and yeah, that's shocking. Um, how to deal with it. I think that I like kind of, I leaned on my sister, but also my teammates, the older ones who were like nice enough to give me advice and things. And just like, it does get better once you adjust and like the overwhelmingness of like every detail, like trying to lock in and, you know, make sure I jog to get my water. We couldn't walk to get water. I have to jog to get my water. Mm. And once you get past like the little things that are new, then you kind of can focus on just the basketball, like the regular part of it, but the adjustment for sure, it's a bit overwhelming at first. Yeah. Especially as a freshman, because you have so much on your plate already. Yeah. Um, yeah. Learning to live away from family, everything on top of that. Yeah. yeah. And mental health is, you know, uh, sorry, I want to say words in Spanish, but it's just becoming, it. <laughs> it's becoming more of a topic um, as the years go by, which I think is great. And um, it's just important to know that it's going to be tough. If you need help, go seek help, ask for help. Um, and it's not always, it's not always uh, roses and chocolate chip cookies. Because the other thing I wanted to talk to you about or ask you about is the portal, because um, I've been out of college for a while now, but I see so many, there are so many kids entering the portal and wanting to switch schools. And I wonder what your opinion is on that, because in my opinion, I just, I don't think the grass is always greener on the other side, you know? Yeah. And I, th I think I've been out of it too, for a, a little bit. So I, it started when I was in college, but it's not at this rate or extent. Um, 
I don't think we had a portal. It was just people would transfer every now and then, but I think it's tough. I think like there's obviously situations where some people, there's a better situation out there for you. Right. Um, but I do think that the grass is always greener. Like you just said, is it's not first of all. And sometimes it's good to buckle down and really take a step back and try to grow, you know, as a person, as a player and commit to something, um, and learn from those around you. Like I didn't play much my freshman year, maybe a little bit more my sophomore year. And then I ended up being a captain of junior year and played a lot, both my junior and senior years. And I'm really proud of the growth and like, and I'm very much a team player too. And I like to like be part of a program. And I feel, I actually feel when I feel part of something, I play better. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like, even when you feel lost and it's tough your freshman year, like, like sit back, like take a step back and think about, you know, what you could do better, what you want out of it, and then make those decisions. Don't make an emotional decision when it's difficult the first year. Right. Um, and what about academics? Did you feel like you were really prepared going in? Did you feel like that was also a step up? Uh, did you know what you wanted to study before you got there? Uh, I did not know what I wanted to study. So like, I kind of, like most people took all the, the general ed classes to try to figure it out my first year. Um, but yeah, I was overwhelmed. I've never felt overwhelmed in a classroom until I got to Stanford. And I will say that's one thing I wish that I did when I was in college is actually utilize the resources that are there. Same thing as we talked about, like mental health and, and those resources are improving and increasing. But when I was in college, we did have academic resources like tutoring and other things, and I did not use them. And I think that I wasn't used to asking for help academically. And I wish that I did because I was very overwhelmed at times. And a few classes, chemistry, whatever, I ended up changing pass fail because I was just like, I felt like I couldn't do it. I just need to pass this class and move on. And it was kind of isolating. I didn't ask for help and I should have. Okay. And your undergrad, was it human biology? Yeah. Okay. So did you decide that like after your freshman year or sometime during your sophomore year? Yeah. Um, for that major at Stanford, you kind of take these big core classes your sophomore year. So I kind of just made the decision after freshman year that I liked learning about the human body. I, I wanted to maybe do like physical therapy or something. I knew I didn't want to go to med school. I knew I liked that topic more than others. So I was like, let me try it out. Um, and I ended up loving it and I, and I loved what I learned. Okay. Awesome. So then senior year comes around, graduation happens. Um, were you thinking about the next step? Like, did you think you were going to go to the WNBA? Did you know about overseas play? How did that kind of pan out? Yeah, I knew nothing about um, overseas basketball, just besides the fact that players go. Um, I, my whole time in college, I wasn't going to play after college. That wasn't a goal of mine. Um, I didn't see that for myself. Um, and then, you know, like your last game comes around and, you know, oh man, <laughs> I don't want this to be over. And my team ended up, we went to the final four my senior year. And so I have all these people around me that I'm playing against, my teammates that are like, they put their name into the draft. Um, and I kind of watched the draft and I was like, oh, let me see, like the, the third round, I wonder who will get called and I didn't get called. So I was like, you know, I wasn't expecting to, but you know, I'm just watching. And then I got an invite to Sparks camp and I was like, Hey, why not? Like go try it out. And I did really good in camp and I ended up breaking my foot. And so I think, cause I did well, I was like, you know what, let me just keep trying this basketball thing out and see where this can go. And from there, that's when I made the decision to go overseas and keep playing, but it wasn't a goal of mine at first. Interesting. Um, yeah. So you go overseas and um, give me a quick summary. Where did you go first, second, third? Yeah, I went to Italy um, my first year, Belgium, um, and then uh, Salamanca for three years. So okay. five years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I have that written down here, actually, now that I'm looking at my notes. But um, Salamanca, three years and an amazing three years. I mean, this past year, you guys won the Spanish league, you won the Queens cup and you finished, you went to the final four at least, right? For your league. Yeah. We got the bronze this year. Yeah. Impressive. Like, so you were the top three team in all of your league. 
yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that is such an accomplishment and such a thing to be a part of. I, I was at the Queen's Cup um, in Valencia, so I got to see the celebration. I was sitting there with Nadia and we were watching, you know, we saw the confetti go out and like, every time you hit a three-pointer and you did your like celebration, you open your mouth and you're like yelling and Nadia's sitting next to me. She's like, yep, that's what she does. <laughs> um, but what, like, how would you sum up those three years in Salamanca? Because for people that don't know, I mean, Spanish basketball, first of all, is really high level competition. But then when you get to EuroLeague, you're talking about the best teams in all of Europe. And all of those teams have WNBA players on them. Like, you know, Brittany Griner and Emma Misaman and Alba Torrens. I mean, they're just stacked. John Kell Jones. Yeah. I mean, we played, not this season, but last season we played um, ECAT, Ekaterinburg, the best um, Russian EuroLeague team in the, the final game. Um, and John Kell Jones was coming off the bench and I started on Brianna Stewart at the three, like <laughs> insane, but oh, my time, my time, has been amazing. Like you said, I love Spanish basketball. I love the country of Spain. Um, it's been like my favorite. It's it's how it's as close as I felt to my senior year in college as it as I has have. Um, and I just love that style of basketball. I love my teammates, uh, my coach. It was and playing with my sister. I mean, my little sister. That was a, a dream come true. And not only playing with her, like winning with her, has been like amazing. And like you said, I, I enjoy playing like with passion and in the good and the bad, like I think life is about like feeling and like living life. And so celebrating feeling losses, like everything, like being level-headed for sure, but like just feeling what you're feeling. And, and I felt, and that's my favorite part about basketball is what it brings me, how I feel. Um, and so I've, I've loved my time for sure in Salamanca. Well, and to be able to be on the same team for three straight years, um, did you have the same coach for those three years or just for the uh, last two years? Just the, just the last two, yeah. Okay, which obviously helps too, because it's kind of like, you know the system, you know what he expects, um, which playing overseas, that can be difficult if you don't stay in the same team, because every team is different and your teammates are going to be different. The feel is going to be different. The language, the country, I mean, so many things. Um, so if you can stay in the same team for a couple of years, I feel like there's no doubt that you're going to play better. Yeah, it's, it's special for sure. Yeah. Um, and what about Spain in general, like the culture, the food, the city of Salamanca is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's my favorite country I've ever played in. And honestly, probably my favorite country outside of home, you know, that I've traveled to, been to. Um, and I think it's the people. And I mean, you've lived in Spain how many years now? Uh, I played 13 seasons. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Long amazing. time. Crazy. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's the people, man. I just, the, the lifestyle is great. Um, I've just met some amazing people like my teammates and like, they're some of my best friends. And so I've, again, like, yeah, the city of Salamanca, the, but all of Spain, like I memories that I'll never forget for sure. Mm -hmm. So how common do you think a situation like yours is? Because you were not drafted. Uh, you did go to training camp. You broke your foot. But then all of a sudden you're playing overseas. You're playing EuroLeague. Your team is winning. Uh, they're getting to the finals in a lot of different, um, you know, regular Spanish league, EuroLeague. And then you do get your chance to play in the WNBA. And you have played... I'm not sure. How many years have you played, played in the WNBA? How many seasons? I played... Yeah, I played one one full season with the Sparks. And then I've been last season was like my next longest stint with the Sparks in Seattle, but I don't know if I'm at three or four, like dabbling in. Yeah. Well, but that's still a lot for someone that wasn't drafted. I just, I wonder how many people that go undrafted stick with it and get their chance to actually play a full season in the WNBA. Cause there's what 12 teams, 12 women per team. Yeah. There's no, there's literally no spots in the W, especially for people that are undrafted and like, honestly that middle age range where you're not a rookie coming out so you know that every team keeps some rookies and then you're not a lock vet so it's like you kind of get pushed out but I think I'm a good example and and um uh, Gardner is a great example of 
Look at her. She's Rebecca? a 31 year old rookie. She just was the MVP of the Spanish league and she's doing amazing. Like there's, there's different paths to the W, but also like sometimes the W doesn't need to be the end goal. It's there's great experiences out there. Like, and I obviously wish um, as an American, I wish there were more spots um, and more leagues and more opportunities at home for people that don't want to go play overseas. But I also think that there are good places to go <laughs> and there's great opportunities out there. And, and I've thoroughly enjoyed my time. And I think it's gotten me, it's built up my confidence. I've played at the highest level, like you said, and, you know, I just, it's helped me and enjoy continue to play and enjoy basketball and end up on these random W teams. So I've had a lot of fun and I credit that to being able to play um, in both places. Right. And you got a chance to play with your sister with the Seattle storm. Was it? Yeah, that was crazy. And like you're, you're on a roster with Sue bird and Brianna Stewart. I mean, what from going undrafted to then being with these legends. Yeah. And like two weeks ago, I randomly got picked up by uh, Phoenix Mercury for two games because someone had COVID. And so now I got to play with Diana Rossi, Skylar Diggins, and Tina Charles. Like, I'm just checking all these books, checking all these people off my list. It's been awesome. I uh, That is just amazing. And so, yeah, because when I was looking online, it said that you were under what kind of contract? Uh, it's called an injury hardship. So hardship. before like the halfway point in the league, in the season, um, after the second half of the season, teams can sign people to seven days or 10 days um, at any time if their roster is under 12. But before that, you can only sign someone on an injury hardship if the roster is under 10 people. So like they need someone to, to fill in, which okay. means those can be, I literally was on the team for four days because the girl was only out for four days. <laughs> But still, you're sharing a locker room with Diana. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had fun. (laughs) Wow. Unreal. Um, Okay. So that kind of brings me to my next point here, because I was looking up uh, the hardship contract for men, or I just looked up like hardship contract, and it specifically would say in Google, like how much men were getting paid in in the NBA for a hardship contract. And it was like, was it 10 days, $60,000 or something like that? And So then I typed in WNBA hardship contract, but I couldn't find any information on that. You don't have to tell me how much the money is, but I'm just like. Absolutely. It's so it's what a hardship is, is you're signing for the rest of season, what your salary would be. And it's 75% of vet minimum if you're a vet. So it's prorated per day. So when I signed, it was like, okay, if you make it for the rest of season, you will get 75% of the salary for the rest of season. So I was on the team for four days. Honestly, I don't know. I haven't got my money. I have no idea how much I make for four days, but you know, it's not a lot, but it's also, why not? It's great money for four days, you know, and a great experience. But I was just blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, these guys can sign 10 days, make 60 K. Well, I think they, yeah. And I think even like a training camp contract in NBA is like 50 K for like two weeks or something it's crazy and then you're not even on the team you're just there for the camp and you can make 50k wow wild all right so that kind of brings me to my next question because I did see one of your Instagram posts this past year and it looked like you were working while you were playing EuroLeague um traveling to who knows where and you were like using your free time to get some work done so I asked one of my teammates, I was like, does Carly have another job, you know, like on top of what she's already doing? And then I looked at your Instagram profile and I saw that you are part of a company called, is it Parity? Yeah, yeah, Parity. And tell us what that's all about. Yeah, so last summer, um, before I got signed with the Sparks in Seattle, I had been working with this company for like a year and a half at that point, um, as I was like part of the athlete advisory board and then an intern. And then, um, they offered me a full-time job and I was like, Hey, I'm going overseas. And they were like, it's cool. You can work both. I was like, okay. Um, but basically what parody is, is we are a community of elite women athletes. And right now we have like 750 plus, um, and we connect, um, these athletes we're trying to provide as many resources as we can, basically. So we connect these athletes to brands for paid sponsorship posts. We um, provide a lot of educational resources, like 
different webinars. We're trying to provide more mental health resources, which I just did a little collaboration with Nadia and her company Timeout, which was awesome. Um, but basically, and we have an NFT marketplace. We have lots of things going on, but basically our goal is to get money to women athletes. And we're mostly pro a little bit in the college space with NIL now, but as we know, like the huge pay gap of like the gender disparity of sports sponsorship money, but just resources also in general for women athletes is huge, right? Yeah. And so we're just trying to help, help that problem and help get athletes, women athletes money. I mean, just what we were just talking about, as far as the hardship contract, you know, a guy can make 60 grand in 10 days. Um, it's just mind blowing. And when I think about um, players like Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird and that they have gone over to Russia, they've played for those teams, they've made a million or more in a season. And that seems like a lot of money, but we're talking about the best players in the world who are veterans making that money and you talk about the last guy on the bench of an NBA team who doesn't even see the floor, and he's probably making way more than one million. I think, yeah, I think, well, I think the NBA minimum is a million. So, yeah, he's, he's there making the same amount as yeah. the best players in the world. And, yeah. he, and he could be in his first year, like right off, right out of school. He could be 18 years old, and these women are. 30 or 35 and the best in the world. And that's like the max that they're making. Um, so I applaud you, you know, helping, helping change this. And a lot of people listening, maybe they'll be like, yeah, but not as many people watch women's sports or there aren't as many this and that, but like, I don't know, what would you, what would be your answer to that? I mean, of course, that's always people's response, right? And and specifically people that don't watch women's sports. But it's just about creating and growing the opportunities that are there. Men's sports have been way up here always since the beginning of time. And women have been how many steps below. And so we can see there's proof in like the viewership of the last NCAA Women's Final Four was through the roof. The the ratings and viewership of the, of the draft for this year Here's WNBA, like, I don't know what percent higher, but a lot. And, and we're continuing to push, I mean, basketball, but all these other sports as well, but just <laughs> streaming games on national television where people can watch it. It's, it's, it's proving that more and more people are watching. So it's just continuing to try to level the playing field with at least the opportunities. And then way down the line, can someone say, okay, people aren't watching, which is obviously not the case. Right. And I do understand, you know, the, the NBA when it started wasn't what it is today by any stretch of the imagination. And they too had to make room for themselves and fight and, and get teams and money and whatnot. But it, it is true. It's like women are women's sports. We are at like a 50 year disadvantage, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's tough to stomach that, especially at a salary level, because it just doesn't seem very fair. Um, but yeah. I, I appreciate people like you who are players and that are fighting for these things, because I think that's where it needs to start is with, is with us women, us athletes fighting for what we, what we want, because otherwise who's going to do it? Like, yeah. And especially my favorite part about parody is, you know, if we're just talking women's sports, we take out the disparity of men and women on the side, only the top athletes get huge sponsorships. Right. And they one get the max salary contracts that, or at least max for women's sports. And then they get the sponsorships on top of that. We have this middle ground of athletes that maybe have, that are incredible, like athletic, athletically, they have all these accolades. They've done it all, right? Like John Paul Jones just got the MVP last season. It was fabulous to see her in a State Farm commercial. But like before that, I don't know how many sponsorships she's had and she's been one of the best. And so what I love about Parody, and she is in Parody um, and she's been in the community for a little while. We are getting sponsorships for these athletes that maybe don't have them but deserve them and don't have the follower count on social media because that's where the money is right and sponsorship it's all about the social media following but that's what where we're trying to come in and being one of those athletes that are in, so in the middle and experience like all this I was going to say SHIT but I won't cuss but <laughs> all this stuff like it's it's good to see trying to put the middle ground of athletes forward that don't get the top stuff. And I also think that's very interesting. If you're an athlete that's not huge on social media because you just, it's not your thing. You don't like posting all, you know, every day what's going on in your life. Some of those opportunities are given to the people that do 
manage their social media. And it has nothing necessarily to do with your talent level. Mm -hmm. And that's just like the part of the social media business and the sponsorship business. And that's what like, we're trying to also with parody is like, Hey, it's okay. If you're not a content creator, if you don't feel comfortable with doing that kind of stuff, we try to suggest other ideas of what maybe you could post that you, that is comfortable with you, different ideas, but also trying to broaden the opportunities that are out there as well. Like different career opportunities, different internships. We have a career coaching mentorship program. Like there's, there's other stuff. And that's, that's the thing. I'm not huge. It's not my favorite thing either. Social media, but like, it's a part of life right now. And so just like navigating that world is overwhelming. And I'm sure for people going into college as well, like we were talking about with recruiting and everything, it's, it's a lot, like even (laughs) non-athletes, this world right now is tough. And I know you're about to be a mom. I'm sure that's going to be an interesting world to navigate with your kid. I know because my husband is not all about it. He does not uh, approve or want us posting pictures of a future baby. So um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But yeah. um, <laughs> so one more question about this. Do you guys then go to these businesses or these companies and say, hey, would you like to participate and sponsor or allow, you know, a player to participate in an advertisement or how are you? Yeah. How we work has been, it's been a combo of us, um, like, you know, recruiting and going out to clients to see if they're interested in working with, we, we prefer like big numbers of, of campaigns of women athletes at a time. Um, and then uh, quite a few companies have come to us as well. So it's ranged from startups to big companies like Microsoft is our official tech sponsor. And one of my favorite campaigns we did it with all our basketball athletes was um, like, it was like called WNBA crunch time or something. And then another one with Mother's Day and Title IX, how it's the 50th anniversary this week. Um, but just like players get to post about them playing basketball, but get paid to do it. Like you're not, it's like, not everyone is like a product, like, Hey, like check out my, my water bottle that I drink or something. It's cool. It's like more authentic posting. And, and these companies are trying to find like women's sports are on the rise. So companies are looking to work with women athletes and, and we're just trying to be one of those liaisons to like get companies to do it. Okay. So now tell me how you managed to balance working while playing on a Euro league level team. I'm not going to lie, Leslie, this season was rough. Was It was tough. And I think it helped that I played with my sister and that I live with my sister. And so a lot of times my meetings were after practice, like maybe like 8.30 to, I don't know, 11 p.m., 11.30 because of the time change. Um, and I liked having my mornings to myself. It was kind of nice. And then I would start work like in the afternoon, go to practice and take my meetings, which my sister would cook for me. Like if I didn't have my sister, that would have been really difficult. Um, traveling was the hardest part of it. Like traveling takes up so much of your time, especially playing Euro league and Spanish league, but it was tough. Like I, I got it done and I, and I love my work, which is why I think it w- worked out. And I love both, both of my jobs, but I don't know. I definitely wouldn't recommend doing full two-time jobs or two full-time jobs at the same time for more than one season, but I got through one season. And now that I'm home, I can just work normal hours, um, train in the afternoon. Um, and yeah, but that, that it was difficult. Right. Because you think about athletes and like getting enough rest and just getting ready for practice. And like you said, cooking, um, to and from granted Salamanca is much smaller than Madrid. So I'm assuming that your trajectory from your apartment to the gym probably didn't take you more than eight minutes, (laughs) which is really nice. But, um, I applaud you, man. That is impressive because that's, you know, we're talking earlier about what are the, what's the percentage of undrafted athletes that end up getting to play in the WNBA? Well, what's the percentage of EuroLeague athletes that are also balancing a full-time job? Well, big credit to my company, Parity, because they put their money where their mouth is. They hire women athletes. Like all my coworkers are either former or current and they're okay. The only reason it worked is they're okay with basketball taking the priority. My practice times, I can't change that. My traveling, I can't change that. So they were very flexible and the work that I was doing, I can do on my own time. Um, so credit to them for sure. That's the only reason I got it done, but yes, a lot of work. Yeah. And especially traveling, because I remember one day we saw each other at the airport in Madrid and I just thought to myself, 
wow, yeah, but right, they're coming from Salamanca. So their bus ride, they had to get up two or three hours earlier than we did because it's not like they have the airport right in their city. So every time you guys would travel, you'd have to wake up early, get on the bus, go for two, three hours on the bus, get to the airport, go through security. I mean, and then we, because we're right here in Madrid, you know, I get to the airport in 25, 30 minutes and I'm there. That for sure, like hands down is, has been the most difficult part of the last two years, three years, but the last two years playing Euro league and Spanish league, that extra amount of travel to the airport and just the, the traveling for two leagues in general, brutal that it's so tiring and taxing on the body. Like I'm so glad that I love my teammates because we all spent every second together uh, for nine months, but that is one part of playing overseas that like, I mean, I I love the places I've been and I've got to go, but I'm also like, I've been home for a month. I'm, I haven't, I'm not stepping foot on a plane for another month and a half. (laughs) I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and quickly, um, this just came into my mind, but what has been your experience with the Great Britain national team? Because that's pretty sweet that you got to play, you know, on a national level with GB. Yeah. Um, I got that opportunity, um, like my first year in Italy, I, I went home at Christmas because I don't know, everyone's first year overseas is difficult, right? And it was just not for me. And I, I, I like to say I retired from basketball for two weeks. I was done. <laughs> um, but then I got a call. Um, I had talked to them before because obviously I'm 50% British. So I've got a call for them before because of my mom. And they had a, one of their qualifying windows in February. And I was like, you know what? Let me let me fly out there and try this out. Um, and, and I was an opportunity for me to play basketball on the pro level. And I was like, yeah, let me try it out. And I'm grateful for that because I've made amazing friends. I'm going I, uh, like a Zania Stewart and we're going to two of my British teammates wedding this um, in literally a few weeks in August, I'm rooming with Z um, in Cancun. And so it's made uh, like connections that I, I didn't have before. And I got to play in the Euro basket. And I think that that ended up helping me get a contract with Avenida in Spain. And I just think it's such a great opportunity if, if people have the opportunity to play with their national team from wherever they're from, try it out. And it's like great competition, great people, and like, I don't know, new experiences. Yeah. And what did you think about Chema, your coach? Chema. I love Chema with all my heart. Yes. Positive classes. And I'm, I mean, I'm lucky I had such a positive experience because of the coach and the girls and and he really, he's the best. Do you know him? He's a Spanish coach. Let's yes. just put that out there. But yes, I got to meet him because he came when I was playing with Z in Logroño, he came and visited her. And um, so I got a chance to say hi and whatnot. And I actually, I do a radio show here in Spain and I interviewed him one day on the radio um, because he's he's got a really cool uh, resume because he's a psychologist and mm-hmm. he's a basketball coach. And I think that is so awesome. I mean, it's got to be really cool to play for someone who has such a deep perspective into like the human psyche like he does. Yeah, it's funny. Every camp with GB that I go to, he has individual meetings with players and like you go in and you sit down and he's like, Carly, how are you? And I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Chema, like, what's up? And he's like, tell me how you are. And he's like, I started talking about basketball. He's like, not basketball. It's just back. It's so funny. Like he he wants he wants to get to know you. He like you said he really cares, and so that's that's been special for sure. Chema is a special one. He likes to wear those positive glasses. The positive glasses. Yes, I love it. I love it. Um, okay, and uh, I'm kind of jumping all over the board here, and I I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I did want to ask you as far as like we've talked about your mental toughness. Um, what about when it comes to being waived? Like that has got to be an up and down roller coaster ride for you as well. And um, how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, when I was waived the first time with my foot, it was due to injury. So, well, I, I at least I'm pretending that it was due to injury. Who knows? Um, so that was just like you know an injury to deal with, which is hard in itself. Um, to be waived, it happened like the next year I made the team. So the next year, it was like three years into my pro career. You know, I, I'm feeling like I'm getting better. Um, I get waived at the end of camp, like literally last second, Leslie. I did media day 
the day before for four hours with the whole team. But that was the first time I ever really dealt with like rejection and failure on that level. And it crushed me like crying in front of the coaches, like, you know, it's over done. And it's especially something that I, I really wanted. And you worked really hard for. Yes. And And it's, it's also like when you, you know, and the people around, you know, that you put 100% into working for something and you don't get it, that that's a tough reality. And that's just a part of life though. And it's for a moment there, it like shook me to the point I was like, well, maybe it's like something that I shouldn't be working that hard for. If like, it's not either a sure thing or like, cause the, the rejection was that deep, you know, it cut me that deep, but that's a part of life and there's other opportunities. And so mentally it shook me for sure. And like, like just realizing, Hey, like I put my all into it. So there's nothing to regret that it's not something like you shouldn't not do it for fear of failure. And that's definitely what I've learned. Like it's going to work out or it's not. And there's other opportunities, but go ahead and put your all into it. Like that's the only thing that you actually can control. And that's kind of how I deal with even like like, I mean, a lot of people deal with performance anxiety too, like before either big things or before every game, like at, at whatever level it's on. And that's what I tell myself, like, you can trust yourself when you know you've put in the work that you thought you should and, and to the best you could. And so that's what I've learned from being waived is like, can't control it, but I still can't control how hard I work and it will take me to where I'm supposed to go and other opportunities are there. That's great advice, Carly. I mean, easier said than done for sure, yeah. but you're right. It's like, well, what else can you do? You know, give, yeah. give 50% instead of giving the 110 that I just gave. So then it doesn't hurt as much, but then like, you're not as prepared to get it. Yeah. It's like, that's not a way to live again, going back to like living, like I want to feel, I want to put thing, put my heart into things. And so that is a way that it, things are going to hurt you, but you can also like, you believe in yourself, you trust yourself and the good things and the right things for you will come. Bravo, Chica. That's all I got to say. Um, <laughs> all right. Before we get to kind of the end part of the podcast, I wanted to ask you. So when I saw who Salamanca signed a couple weeks ago, I was like, oh, who is this girl? So I clicked on her profile, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. And I saw that she had a podcast and I was like, oh, I'm going to check out this podcast. So we're talking about Erica McCall. And then I saw that she was also your former teammate at Stanford. And I'm listening to one of her podcasts the other day with, now I don't remember who she was talking to, but she listed who her top five um, teammates would be if she had to pick uh, out of her teammates that she played with uh, at Stanford. And Carly Samuelson was on the list because she said, when Carly shoots, you know it's going in. (laughs) So um, what advice, if any, or what would you like to tell Erica about what's waiting for her in Salamanca? And um, maybe even what would you like to tell the Salamanca fans as far as like what they should expect from this new uh, post player? It's so funny. I literally just recorded a podcast for her podcast two days ago because we wanted to talk about the Dream On documentary with our old Stanford coach. Um, ah. But she is my heart. I played with her for four years um, at Stanford. We grew together. We did not play at first and we grew all the way to being captains together and making the final four together. And so I would just say she be ready for her energy. She, she rebounds every ball. Um, she gets hyped like me. Um, she just is the heart of a team and she's also super, super positive and likes to have a good time and honestly live life. Like I'm saying. And so just be ready for her passion, um, and her energy. And I told her just have a great time out there. Like teammates, shout out to my Spanish teammates. I love you guys. Um, she's definitely looking forward to playing for Roberto and I'm just very excited to see how she'll do. Yeah. I mean, I won't be participating in this uh, upcoming season. I don't think, (laughs) Um, but I'm really excited to go and watch her play because now after listening to every single podcast that she's put out, cause like I'll go do a workout or whatever, and I'll just listen to one of her podcasts because they're really interesting. She does a great job. Um, And so I feel like I'm learning more about the W and um, just, you know, the experience in general, but I'm excited to see what she's going to bring to the Spanish league. Um, 
And yeah, I just thought that was really funny when I was listening to it. I was like, oh, she's mentioning Carly right now. <laughs> that's so funny, but that's great. Like she'll probably be so happy to hear that someone's listening to her podcast in Spain and like your podcast. It's really great to like share these stories. So again, thank you, Leslie, for having me on. It's been really well, awesome. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. So, okay. Uh, last couple questions. Well, a couple, maybe like five or six. Um, <laughs> what's your Jersey number and why? Oh, I am 44. Um, it's from Jerry West. We're 44. He's like the NBA logo and he was a shooter. And, but the reason is because my dad liked him. And so I was 44. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and then would you say you have a go-to bread and butter move? Is it like catch and shoot or... <laughs> I'd say catch and shoot in the corner. <laughs> I'll be ready. You like the corners. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause I feel like you can just let it rain from anywhere, but. Oh, I, I mean, I enjoy a good buzzer shot deep three for sure. <laughs> like if the shot clock's going down, I'm going to like rotate as far out as I need to, to launch it. Absolutely. That's probably the, the best feeling, but bread and butter catch and shoot in the corner. <laughs> okay. Um, and when you've played overseas, has there ever been like a food product or anything that you've always brought in your suitcase because you're like I know I'm not gonna be able to find that over there oh yeah you know I'm not too picky um with that kind of thing but I did this um year bring a couple um bottles it's like the everything but the bagel seasoning from Trader Joe's it's just like salt pepper like basically on a bagel you know everything that's there like yeah. just sprinkle on my avocado toast basically a lazy girl's version of seasoning <laughs> okay I don't think I've ever heard of that I'll have to look at it the next oh, time it's I'm really home. good yeah Okay. Um, what was your favorite board game as a kid when you were growing up? Ooh, my family loves board games, loves card games. And shout out to my Spanish teammates also. Have you heard of the game Princesa or Love Letter? It's a Spanish game? It Well, it's multiple different languages, but it's just this card game. It's almost like a medieval Pokemon version. Laia Palau gave her game to Maite Cazorla and she taught all of us. And now we each have our own game and it's amazing. Okay please look it up. But my, <laughs> uh, my favorite board game, we, we did, I mean, a lot of like the classics, but probably sorry, you know, like the colors one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a great one. Yep. All right. And what about a favorite like television show when you were, you know, before you were 11 years old, like when you were little? Yeah. Um, we watched a lot of, I like my sisters and I Pretended we were the Powerpuff Girls, oh. and uh, my older one was Blossom. I was Bubbles because I was blonde, and Lou was Buttercup. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And what are three things that you generally have on your bedside table? Ooh, uh, my charger, which my phone is plugged into, uh, a water, and honestly, I wish I really wish it was a book. I really wish I was a reader. <laughs> I truly do, but it's my laptop because I'm either finished watching Netflix or working way too late. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. And one more: Is there any um, like Italian or when you're in Belgium, French or Flemish or a Spanish word that you have really enjoyed saying or learning, or maybe even a word that's been really hard for you to pronounce and learn? Oh gosh, I feel like every year in Spain, I I like latched onto a new word that I just love to say and this year it was corbata which is like when it's like an in and out shot or necktie obviously but I just loved it and so every practice when in and out shots I was every time would say corbata corbata my teammates probably were sick of it but my my coach came up to me my assistant coach Raquel I had two super in and out threes like crazy ones in and out in one game it was like early on in the season right when I kind of learned the word and she came up to me mid-game and I was upset she goes you know it's because you don't know the word limpia <laughs> you've been saying corbata too much and I was like okay okay fair enough it was so funny. it's gotta be clean limpia mm -hmm. that's awesome so your assistant coach spoke English pretty well yeah I mean everybody yeah I I did I really tried my first year and I, I understand everything, but speaking, I tried my first year and then 
I'm not blaming Lou, but then my sister got there the next year and we just lived together and we all spoke English all the time. I, after three years, I am embarrassed to say I did not improve too much. <laughs> well, it's really difficult when you're on such a high level team because you've got a lot of foreigners and they all speak English. And then your coach most likely speaks English because he's going to have to be dealing with these foreign players. And you know, it's just, it's tough. I, my Spanish, I think really improved because when I came to Spain, I played in the second division and I was living with Spanish girls and mm. my coach didn't speak English. Nobody spoke English. So I was just forced to hear it and speak it every day. And if it wasn't for that experience, if um, I would have been playing in the first division on a Salamanca, you know, my experience and my language learning process journey would probably be way different. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, you really have to be put in the, the situation of dire need to like really learn it. And cause it's so quick and easy to just speak English with people when they're speaking English around you. Yeah. What's funny is over three years though, I did see immense improvements in my couple of my Spanish teammates, English. It's sure. been really, really cool to see and like, like phenomenally improved. <laughs> it's a huge opportunity for them to improve their English just from playing with Americans or Australians or British players. Yeah. yeah. Shout, shout out to Andrea because she is so much better than three years ago. That's awesome. Well, Carly, thank you so much. Thank you for waking up early for making time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Leslie. This has been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with the rest of your summer. Good luck with parody. Good luck and, to you, mama to be. <laughs> yeah, a month and a half. That's all that's oh, left. Wow. I know. Oh my gosh. So exciting. A uh, little nervous, not going to lie. The whole birthing process is, uh, you know, I haven't done it yet and I'm a little nervous about it, but you know. You'll have to do a whole podcast on your experience, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see about that. Hopefully I'll be in, uh, in a good spirit and good mood, you know, not too long afterwards. Yeah, so. hopefully. All right. Well, you enjoy your day, California girl. <laughs> Thanks, Leslie. You too. Enjoy your evening. Thank you. Ciao. And that's another episode in the books. So many good nuggets of knowledge and perspective from Carly. But I think what I liked the most was listening to her journey through the WNBA. Her ups and downs and how she manages to turn what appears to be a very tough, gut-wrenching experience into something positive. Um... Ole too, sister. Like, that's all I have to say. My hat goes off to you because that is easier said than done. And um, ah, we could all take a page out of your book. That's for sure. And then furthermore, her commitment to working a job back in the States and playing professionally in multiple competitions. I think uh, what Carly really deserves is a slow clap. Yeah. Carly, congrats, man. You, I want to be like you when I grow older. <laughs> when I get older, even though um, I'm already, I think, nine years older than you. But um, yeah, that's amazing. So anyway, that's all for today, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. And before you go, do me a quick favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate the show. It'll take just a minute. And believe it or not, but your support can actually help get the word out to future listeners. Signing off for this week, I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week. Hasta luego!